Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome to the Talking Deen podcast. I'm your host Majid and today I have with me brother Rash and a return of brother Ishti, our resident historian. Uh, brothers, welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum. How's it going guys? Wa alaikum salam. Alhamdulillah, all is good. Good, good. Subhanallah, we are officially depending on uh, when you started Ramadan we officially in the in the last 10 days and um it's gone it's gone kind of quick hasn't it you just don't realize how quick it goes you you think it's going to be 30 days how long to make it and then you get to 20 days and you're thinking that was, when did it start it's just, just goes in it goes in a blink you know like uh, even uh, I was chatting to my nephew uh, yesterday walking from Tarawi and he, he was talking about Paul Pogba and that he was fasting during the game against um, who did they play? Roma. Roma, right? And uh, basically, when he was interviewed afterwards, like, how, how did you do it? And he said, you know, Allah gives us strength. Mm. And it's just one of those things that Subhanallah, a lot of people won't won't appreciate it. Certainly, non-Muslims they won't appreciate it. The fact that you know when you start this month, you know, um, it's like how are you going to be able to fast? And, you know, just to add, not even water. Um, how are you going to be able to fast for 30 days? But it's one of those that the 30 days go by and, and you don't even realize that actually most of this month was spent, you know, uh, sacrificing uh, those things which are normally halal for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, um, and I think that's one of the reasons why you look forward to this month and, and also why you miss it once it's, once it's gone. Do you think it's quite interesting that, you know, in the past, football players used to use um, being professional athletes as an excuse not to fast, whereas recently I've been noticed quite a few players actually are fasting and playing. Is that kind of a, an increased awareness of of the importance of their deen, you know, even though they're professional athletes or is that just... To, to be honest with you, I, I think that... You know, in the past, um, there were certain times where uh, I remember the, the Turkish team, there was a Turkish team a few years ago, they were all fasting and uh, both teams, they stopped for iftar and stuff. But as individuals, maybe maybe they have been fasting, but we just never knew. Just I mean, I, I didn't know Pogba was fasting on that night. No, no. Well, and even on Monday, was it Monday night the other week? There was it, They stopped the Premier League game, didn't they? Which is But that's what I mean. No, they but, stopped that one, so you knew. But this time, I didn't know Pogba was fasting or not. No, no, no. Well, what it is, is we, we, the previous ones we've heard have been in like Turkey or a Muslim country or something, which is fair enough. But I was surprised when it was like Premier League doing something. Bro, Leicester, anyway. Le- Leicester is like a semi-Muslim uh, country. The amount of uh, Muslims that are there. But uh, but yeah, <laughs> you, you're probably right. There's, there's that more awareness and... Um, and and respect to you know uh, the the officials and stuff like that that they 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 are um, they are okay with with that with doing that so uh, but certainly you know going back to the issue of of Ramadan and the strength and stuff like this it's just something which mm. it's just something which comes from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala really there's there's no other way to describe it issue what do you think no I I, I definitely definitely agree you know when you want to do something there's not nothing going to get in your way and to be honest it's only the first day where it's a bit difficult where you feel a bit de- dehydrated and after that it becomes easy yeah, um, yeah. so yeah it's just part of your life so, I remember yeah. there was uh, a few years ago watching this video um, when the fasts were long in the UK but I think it was in Norway or one of these Scandinavian countries and, and, and there was this I think it was a Bengali family actually uh, husband and wife and there they were fasting for uh, 23 and a half hours. So basically they were getting half an hour of, of iftar, right? Yeah. And so they were, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. So they're interviewing them and uh, they said, how do you do it? And it's Allah gives you strength. Mm. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's just probably one of those things, isn't it? That when people think of Ramadan, especially nowadays, when you think of Ramadan, you think of fatigue. You think of, you know, people uh, counting down the minutes. But history testifies that, you know, uh, this has been a time when Muslims have uh, kind of regrouped, kind of rejuvenated, and the spirit of Ramadan has, you know, sort of like motivated them to do many things. So, so we're talking about people playing football or, or us guys just fasting. But in the past, people were marching in desert heat 
um, and fighting battles even whilst they were fasting. So uh, compared to that, playing a football match isn't uh, <laughs> isn't isn't you know too great. But nevertheless, respect where it's where it's due. Credit where credit's due. Sometimes we're a bit you know we're a bit harsh on people, but I go oh yeah, it's just a game of football. But you know what? It shows progress. I'm 100%. just going to look at it positively. It shows 100%. progress that more people are appreciative of the importance of it, even in whatever field you are. And if the progress is positive, which it is, then hopefully it will just continue to get better and people become more aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, of course, man, of course, of course. And, and it's something which may even influence non-Muslims as well, you never know. You know, I, I remember thinking about, you know, the Muslims inside you, like in um, Norway or Iceland, wherever it is. And I thought to myself, like, why don't, why don't they just move to Saudi Arabia? And this weird thought came into my mind. What if those extra hours or extra hours of reward? And then who, who, who would it be more difficult for? The one who's getting more reward or who's better? You just don't know, do you? The one in Saudi Arabia or the one in Iceland or Norway or wherever it is. Yeah. So it just depends on how you look at it. And at the end of the day, we do it for the sake of Allah, not for the sake of our stomach. So Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, that's the, exactly. So, so it's not always looking at it as uh, something which is negative. In fact, it could well be that those people that are fasting almost a day, that this is a blessing upon them. But it's just the way you look at things, isn't it? Mm. So, uh, cool man, inshallah, guys. Let's 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 get into um, today's uh, topics. Um, and the main topic we want to discuss today, and and this is the reason why we have our resident historian with us today. Um, is the issue of uh, what we what they what is known as the Armenian genocide, um, and I will I will do genocide because I have my own views on this. Um, anyway, so what we see is on April twenty fourth, Joe Biden uh, became the first president of the United States of America in sort of acknowledging that in nineteen fifteen the Ottoman, uh, what they say empire, but what we would know as the Ottoman Khilafah, uh, committed a uh, systematic massacre uh, to wipe out the Christian Armenian population, okay? And uh, and this is what we want to discuss today because there's many questions that, that we need to ask our, ourselves. First one is, what actually happened? Um, and the second one is, why now? Because this sort of motion of of this being recognized has been there for a long time. And in fact, 30 countries around the around the world today already uh, acknowledge this as being uh, a genocide. So what's the big deal here? And uh, what should Turkey's response be? And, and stuff like this. So there's a lot to talk about. So for the issue, Yangna, uh, first come to you. Um, and maybe you can just give us, you know, a brief description of, what happened, what the issue is, and then we can start addressing some of the issues of why, when, and what. I think, to be fair, the first thing I did was, when, when you mentioned this subject, I wasn't 100% sure what it's meant by genocide. And <laughs> I just say it means just killing people, right? Mm. But if you look at the UN definition, it's um, geno genocide means any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national ethical hmm. et ethnical sorry ethnical. racial or religious group such as killing the members of groups causing serious bodily harm but the point is there has to be intent so hmm. for example the nazis had a clear intent to destroy the jews and it's documented in their own documents in the like for example the one say conference so when we're talking about genocide there's the intent and then there's the mass killings so you're out to kill Jews, you're out to kill Armenians. So when we say the Armenian genocides, the Ottomans perpetrate the Armenian genocide, you're saying the Ottomans aim to kill all the Armenians. And would you say, yeah, yeah, so so to, not just to kill, to wipe out? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and that's important. And yeah, actually, if you carry on with that point, as is it is very key for anybody who's listening to understand what the terminology is important. It's not just about, okay, because we hear about wars and things all the time. So to actually understand what it means by genocide, I think that is a key point that she's making. Yeah, man. Um, if you look at the Ottomans, uh, they're a very interesting uh, era of history. And they sort of composed like multi-ethnic sort of groups. So you had the Af North Africans, the Balkan states, 
And the way they used to rule was they had this millet system. So basically, the traditional elite of those people used to rule, and this worked for 800 years. Now, a lot of the sort of uh, advances by Europe, and in particular, people like Napoleon, Russia, Russia with its warm water policy, it wanted ports that gave it access to Europe. They start attacking the Ottomans and trying to get nation states to emerge. The other issue is you've got Europe. It had this small period of rapid political change and rapid technological change, and it brought it to the fore of everything, technologically, political esteem, etc. And it sort of pushed the Ottomans out the uh, picture. Uh, and most importantly, economically, because the Ottomans were a center of trade commercially, whereas now it's all within Europe. Now, basically, the Ottomans, after the siege of Vienna, um, I actually forget the date of it, they started to decline. And that's why most historians say the decline started to occur, because yes. there's a lot of infighting as well. Um, and one of the ideas in the West was the idea of the nation state before there was empires and ethnicities. And after that, there was like the German state, there was all these states emerging, there's an identity based on your ethnicity. So if you're a, a Pole, you'd be a, po a Polish person. If you're a Turk, you were Turkish, if you know what I mean. Um, now, what this meant was, so you've got this weakening of the Ottomans economically, but you've got a lot of national uprisings. Mm. And these included the Romanians, the Persians, the Serbians, the Montenegrins. Um, and what this uh, basically the Greek, meant... Uh, Greek, Greeks, yeah. Yeah, and this is what I was going to say. And there was many of these. And for example, if you look at 1821 to 1829, you had the Greeks movement for independence. And there was this feeling of... Um, there was, there was harsh treatment by the Ottomans because there was mm. too much high tax because the Ottomans were actually financially struggling, so they taxed their uh, people more. And by, by seeing what Napoleon did in Egypt and Syria, it gave them confidence. Okay, if, if this land can be taken, why can't we take it? They're already weak. Um, and also, there was another movement. Russia saw itself as the protector of Christians. And when I say Christians... Uh, Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox Church. They're not like um, what we know as Roman Catholics and Protestants. So it saw the, itself as protectors. And in one of the years, uh, in one of the wars, uh, it built this treaty of Kuchuk Kinaji. Basically, what it allowed it to do, if any Christians were uh, struggling or feeling oppressed, it gave it permission to intervene. And it used this as a reason to constantly attack the Ottomans. Mm. Now, Britain as, and France, now what happened in Europe is they had this, they want, they like the balance of power. Everyone's got a bit of power. So rather than attacking each other, let's go attack other lands. So Europe had this thing called Concert of Europe um, and they liked the balance of power. So they didn't like the idea of Russia taking all of the Ottomans. Mm. So they were always in this battle. Russia would advance a bit forward, in, forward into Ottoman land and Britain would stop it. So, for example, the Greek revolution is a really important example of this. So the Greek Christians, who are Eastern Orthodox, they rebelled. They wanted independence. This allowed the Russians to interview with the, intervene with that treaty. And Britain and France said, no, you can't use this because it's going to be, have too much Russian influence. So they helped Greece achieve independence. And there was many, many movements like this. There were several Russian-Turkish wars. And there was this constant decline. Okay. Another, pro another problem that the Ottomans had is they started to rely on external powers. So, for example, in the Mediterranean, for their naval presence, they started to rely on France. What that meant is France got privileged access to the Levant, you know, like Syria mm. and all these lands. So, yeah, it, there was a sort of very serious uh, weakening of the Ottoman state. Also, there was a lot of infighting. So there was a person called Muhammad Ali Pasha in mm. Egypt. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to gain hereditary rule. So, so, for example, rather than the Ottomans ruling, so there's this idea of the Ottomans. There's all these pr uh, pr provinces. They're ru ruled by their people. But the overall leader is the Ottomans, and they have to listen to their overall rule. Muhammad Ali Pasha wanted his family to rule Egypt. And he also wanted Syria. So they had to quell that. 
And often what would happen is they used a lot of treaties to do this. Now, if you go into Armenia, Armenia is actually the first nation state to accept Christianity, not the Romans, it was actually the Armenians. Okay. So they are very, very ardent uh, Christians. Now, in 1875 to 1878, what happened was the Greek, Great Eastern uh, Crisis, where all these like Bosnia, Herzegovina, Bulgaria, all these countries wanted independence all at the same time, well, one after the other. And what happened was, during a lot of these Russian uh, Turkish uh, wars, they'd taken a lot of this Armenian land. Mm. So there's this pressure from external powers to give autonomy, and the Ottomans were forced to after one of the Russian Turkish wars. However, the Armenians did not have a national movement. It only occurred in the 1880s. And there's this idea of the Armenian question, what is going to happen to the Armenians? Everyone else has got autonomy. What's going to happen to the Armenians? And there was this idea that the Ottomans were persecuting Christians. However, what they were doing was employing higher taxes because of their poor financial state. Financial situation, yeah. um, now, so, so, so moving on to 1915. There's an important point here, right? The Armenians were they built this national idea and there was two important political parties, the Dashnaks and Hunchaks, and they started to rebel. So not only was this idea that the Armenians going to um, want political autonomy, they actually start rebelling and causing mm -hmm. trouble. And there are 40 particular rebellions that cause this question, who are they allied with? So there was a massive problem. Not only was that, only, only that, there was this young Turk revolution where this committee of union progress took over and brought about a parliament. So the Khalif was in name only, and there was the three Pashas in control. And they had a lot of, uh, they had a lot of Armenians in their parliament. However, when it came to World War I, the Pashas asked, Who side, what are you gonna do to the Armenians? Can you incite the Russian side Armenians to fight against them? Because Armenia is situated between Russia and Turkey. And that land is called the Caucasus, right? So if you've got people uprising in, uh, in Armenia, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to end up fighting the Armenians and the Russians because the Russians are definitely going to come into, yeah. into Turkey because that's what they want to do. So there's a massive concern. Now, there were sort of quite a few uh, massacres and uh, which we could go into later. But it's important to know at this point, the Armenian question wasn't wasn't solved. Now there's this idea of this siege of Van, where ten thousand Muslims allegedly were killed by the Armenians. Now this is a disputed situation, so it could be higher numbers or it could be a lot lower. Is this when the Russians came into into the Ottoman state? Uh, yeah, no, Van, Van, no, Van is part of uh, was part of the Ottoman Ottoman state. What happened was. At this point, um, the Talat Pasha, one of the, the three Pashas of the CUP, he decided what we're going to do is a lot of these intellectuals, we're going to lock them up. We're going to lock them up and bring them to Istanbul. And that occurred on the 20, 24th of April, 1915. That is the actual date. And that's exactly what happened. The killings didn't occur then. Now, just before, not only to add the financial strait, the 1912 Balkan War, 850,000 Muslims had been expelled from Europe into Anatolia. So not only did they have financial issues, they had a massive refugee crisis. Mm. Um, if you want to, I, I'm not sure if that's the correct term. So basically, Talat Pasha decided, you know what? We can't handle the situation. We can't have this liability on the Caucasus. So he decided to mass deport Armenians. Yeah. And what that involved is taking all the taking the Armenian population and moving them to Deir Azor, which is in Syria, which is a hard slog. Now what what is stated is each person was allotted 150 grams of bread, which is not a lot to be fair. And it was hard marching. And this is what is called the Armenian genocide because a lot of people died of dehydration and starvation. Now, what I haven't been able to go into, a lot of the preamble and before and during, there was a lot of massacres on both sides. So, for example, the Dashnak massacre. I don't know if you remember, that was one of the uh, political parties of the Armenians. They mm. killed 12,000 Azerbaijanis who were, the, who were Muslim and were with the Ottomans. 
they slaughtered them. And these were civilian populations. Yeah, is it also correct that they killed some Armenians as well? Because those people who didn't want to revolt or rebel against the Ottoman state as well, this is where, you know, again, this is disputed, but they killed some of their own because they were all wanted to be united in their rebellion against the Ottoman state, which is the reason why the Ottomans, you know, had to do something when they were fighting on multiple fronts. Exactly. And this was a very, very, very difficult situation. And you've got to remember, the Ottomans were very weakened at this state. Could they really afford to be attacked? You've got to remember, I'm making out, I'm saying that, you know, they were fighting on the Caucasus, but Britain was fight, fighting them on Gallipoli. Gallipoli, yeah. They were fighting on the Persian front. They were fighting on three massive fronts. Mm. And they were struggling militarily already. And they were reliant on Germany to provide their naval presence. They were relying on a lot of German help as well. I, th so, I think the main point is that it's so, not necessarily... Sorry to interrupt. It's not necessarily about whether anybody tries to justify Turkey's actions or Russia's actions or the actions of the Armenians. I think the issue at large is that there was conflict going on. And at the time, many people were killed from all sides. Um, I think it's important to understand that there probably there was loss of life on all fronts for, for every, you know, for all people. Um, the issue, I think, that Maj was highlighting at the beginning is that, you know, why are they calling it a genocide, you know, and and why now? I think that that's something we do need to try and get to the bottom of because the history itself and the area and how the situation arose, I think that that is, yeah, we could talk about that for quite a long time. Yeah, I mean, it was a messy situation, wasn't it? I mean, if you if you look at, there was a, if you look at just say when um, the partition of India, Pakistan, it was a messy situation and about a million people died. So at the end, they, uh, people died uh, from, from all sides. And even uh, even the, the, the Turks, even Erdogan, you know, is quoted as saying that it was, uh, you know, uh, what happened was uh, like an injustice or something on their side. So they're not saying that, they're not saying that people didn't die. Yeah. But what they're saying that it was in a genocide, right? Now, move, moving on and, and sort of bringing this together, because some people might think, look, it's history, it's history, okay? It's history. Things happen in history. So what's the big deal here? You know, um, firstly, why does it matter whether Turkey acknowledges whether this was genocide or not? And secondly, why now? Why is Joe Biden taking the decision to do this? Well, people in the past, Obama uh, promised that he would. He needed it, right? Trump said that, uh, his party views things differently, right? But what you're going to understand is this is a NATO uh, a NATO member. Um, they're meant to be on the same side, right? So what do you think? Why now? What do you think's changed from... Uh, has, it, has a change happened in America or has a change happened in Turkey, which has brought us to this, to this, uh, this moment when it's been acknowledged? What do you guys think? So... I'll give you my kind of 10 pence worth on that side. Yeah. Um, it was back in, I think, two, well, it was during Trump's time, probably back in 2019, a couple of years ago, when both the House and the Senate both kind of re said, put forward that the recognition that this is a genocide and we want to call it a genocide. And like you just highlighted there, it was Trump who turned around and said, this is not something that, you know, we want to pursue or is something that they didn't want to go forward with. But the fact that the House and the Senate, in America both agreed that means that there were some plans from a number of years ago yeah mm. and then when Biden before you know when he was on his campaign trail that was when he you know there was an interview and they asked him what are your foreign policy ideas and stuff if you become president um, and that's when he highlighted he started talking about being you know anti-Erdogan and he started discussing you know not being happy with the situation in Turkey wanting to support some of the opposition movements and there was this funny comment when he was making doing the interview he was like oh not via coup not via coup he said it like two or three times to kind of you know when you say something that many times it's like that's probably what you want to do because not happy with, try to do anyway exactly so with the Gulenist and all of that that we saw um so but what he highlighted is that you know the the kurdish issue and the fact that, you know, not happy with the direction that Turkey is going. So it's quite clear now that Biden's in. And another a thing that's quite important is Kamala Harris as well. And remember in previous podcasts, we've highlighted that 
even though Biden is the president, yeah, Kamala Harris actually she she's got quite a bit of power as well. Yeah. Okay. And there's there's quite a lot of backstory to Kamala Harris and quite a few of these Armenian advocacy groups and that they were um, funding her campaign as well. So there's some kind of, um, you know, there's as we know with all of these things, there's complete political dimension to it. This is why I'm not even overly a, a fan of going into this concept of this is a genocide and this isn't a genocide because the when they decide which one's a genocide is purely down to political interest they probably felt this was a genocide for many years but because of certain good ties with turkey they've decided that okay let's not call it a genocide now because turkey are towing our line for us as soon as now it feels like t Turkey are not towing their line and moved out of their orbit, okay, now it's quite convenient. Let's now call it a genocide so that they're back on the on the back foot, especially when there's rifts within Turkish politics as well. How convenient is that those rifts are there, you know, by, by CHP, the Kurds, you know, the breakaway factions from within AKP, yeah? Now those, those rifts there, now America are not happy with the direction Turkey is taking in the region. All of a sudden, how convenient that let's call this a, a genocide. So I think that's some of the reasoning behind why they're highlighting it as a genocide now rather than previously. Mm. Ishi, what do you think? You know, there was something that I, I just remembered, what, what I just thought about when I was getting my headset and... Basically, a lot of what Erdogan's done, he's revived the idea of the Ottomans. And it's not a, something to be ashamed of. So if someone is genocidal, like if someone had done genocide, they're evil, right? Mm -hmm. The Nazis were pure Nazis. evil. They decided to kill Jews for no reason except for the fact they were Jews. But they killed like, a lot of people, didn't they? Yeah, but they, they had a particular, like they had a conference for Jews that were going to properly go kill them, right? Mm -hmm. That's why it's called a genocide, right? However... With Erdogan, he, he bring, brought a lot of prestige to the idea of the Ottomans with, you know, dramas and bringing them to the fore. And it brings a certain nationalistic pride. What if the, that nationalistic pride is linked to genocide? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's trying to attack that idea. I think that's one of the immediate implications of... Um, that's a really good point, by the way. Uh, I think that's uh, key. Uh, you know, if you if you say that you've done genocide, right, it's symbolic for the Armenians because, mm. you know, there is a pain there. And it, rightfully so, a lot of their people got killed. Um, and I believe some say 90% of the population. So that's uh, unbelievable, right? Um, but, you know, the Turkish government would have to apologize. It would have to recognize its crimes. It would be a criminal in this yeah. case. It's tarnishing yeah. Islam, isn't it? This is the other thing. We talk about Ottomans, but that tarnishes Islam as a political entity. You know, Islam has such a, a decorated um, history. And when we compare it, and I'm sure we're going to talk about some of the, the genocides that are not even called genocide that the Americans continue to commit. But what it does is they can look at the, the Muslim, the Islamic civilization, the Khilafah, and go, look, actually, we can't find genocides and we can't find oppression. So less there's this one that we can hang our hat on. It's the Armenian one. Let's use that one and let's not give the context behind why it happened. But if we can tarnish Ottomans and therefore we tarnish Muslims, then how convenient because then we can hide away from our own, our own genocides in a way. Yeah, and think of the phrasing as well. Um, it's not Armenians, Armenian Christians. So what are the adversaries? Ottoman Muslims. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. If you're enjoying this podcast so far, please make sure to subscribe to all of our socials, especially YouTube. And if for any reason you're not enjoying this podcast, then please make sure to contact us on Facebook or Instagram and let us know what we can do better and how we can improve. Jazakallah khair. That's how the, that's the, how the way the yeah, language yeah, is, yeah. Is, is, is given, isn't it? And you've got to remember, if this, if this is accepted, what about the Greeks? What about the Romanians? Were they genocided? It opens a new door. Yeah, yeah. And I think, to, I think both of you guys have made some, some really solid points, man. Um, I think what we do see is that what Rush was saying is we see that there was a time when Turkey was 
in line with everything America was doing. It was a really important ally in the Cold War. After that, you know, as a strategic partner, even with the legal state of Israel, you know, they had really good ties. Um, and what we see is over the last few years, we've seen uh, President Erdogan moving away now. Turkey's definitely moving away where they've gone against the plans of America in Syria, for example, establishing the Rojava state and, and so on. We see that clearly. So we can see, yeah, you can understand why Joe Biden is going to do this. But also, I think the other points that have been made in regards to linking it to the, the Ottomans, because in the past, when, in fact, in the past, before people like Erdogan came on the scene, or uh, when the secularists were in power, in fact, the Ottoman period was probably even looked down upon in the sense, you know, like for example, Sultan Abdul Hamid II, he was known as the Red Sultan, you know, and, and it was it was portrayed as a time when the, the, the Turks were backward and now they had their sort of revolution and secularism was brought in and they, they progressed, right? So at that time, for you to announce this as being a genocide, it didn't really make too much sense. If they wanted to do it, they could have done it then. But now, going back to what Ishi, the point Ishi is making is the fact that what we see is we see a revival within Turkey, not just on the Islamic lines, but we see a revival in the sense of them having pride and looking back at the better days under the Ottomans. Okay, so what a better time now to actually uh, incriminate the Ottomans or committing genocide and then opening other books of history, whether it's in the Balkans, whether it was in, in places like Sham or North Africa. And try to link um, the Ottomans and Islam in a way to being barbaric, genocidal. Um, so I think I think those those points are fantastic, and and I think it's worth now maybe for our listeners and viewers to also then because most of them are going to be Muslim is to say look. As Muslims, we feel like we're always on the back foot. We did a podcast about a month ago um, about confidence in Islam. The fact that we always feel like, you know, we're guilty until proven innocent. And, and this is another episode where when they link it to Ottomans, even though in, re in reality there was a lot of the young Turks on the scene, but when they link it to the Ottomans, it's linked to Khilafah, is linked to Islam. So as Muslims, should we be on the defensive? Or should be on the offensive, and now I think it's worth you know revealing some facts and figures which actually show that as Muslims we should be saying, wait a minute, you know, is it what's that, what's that saying? Uh, the kettle calling the pot black or something? Is that right? Did I get that wrong? <laughs> the, the the pot calling the kettle black. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. The pot calling the kettle black, right? Um, or there's another saying I, I watched. Uh, I seen once in a uh, an Indian movie long time ago, but I'm not going to say it in Hindi or Urdu, <laughs> which is uh, those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones on those uh, on others, right? So when it comes down to issues like this, let's present some facts and figures to our viewers on, in fact, who are truly the genocidal maniacs. Is it the Muslims, or is it the Western powers with their ideology? of uh, secularism, liberalism. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, at the end, of, uh, Rush, you mentioned uh, uh, the America, and I'm sure you're going to probably start off about Native uh, Native Americans. You know what? This is, this is funny that it's not, well, it's not funny in the slightest, but if we wanted to do a podcast now on all of the genocides, and remember, we don't need the term, it's terminology, we don't need to talk about genocides, but we want to talk about killing of innocent people and massacres year after year after year. And remember, not history either. We're not talking about history. To this day, to this very moment, there's probably bombs falling down, especially on Muslim lands. If we wanted to do a podcast on all of the massacres and all the killing that America, just America, I'm not even talking about some of the other Western nations has carried out, then... Unfortunately, our listeners would be sitting here for hours and hours and, you know, maybe a few weeks, maybe, because it would take that long to go through it all. Yeah, I think it's very important for the Muslim to appreciate that, OK, they might sit down for the Armenian one. They might sit down and go, let me look at the history. Let me see if I can defend the, the case of the Ottomans, because that might be the default position, because you feel like you're defending the Muslims. Right. But actually... It, it's not necessary. Just all you have to do instead is look at 
America's past record. This is a nation that was built on the massacre and therefore the genocide of the Native Americans. What is it? Over, I've read so many different, there's been different um, stats being thrown around, anywhere between like 17 million and as high as 200 million of, of Native Americans being killed when that they initially got to that so-called discovered um, the, the land of America. Yeah. And here you're talking about systematic. Systematic. You know, if you're going to call something genocide, then that's genocide. You just go there and you go, oh, there's people here. It's like you find a house and you go, oh, I really like this house, but there's people inside. Oh, let's just wipe them out. You know, and forget a house. This is a, a whole land with so many people. Actually, just, just to add, Rash, that, you know, like when the Americans, when Joe Biden announced this, the, the Turks hit back. And uh, one of the things they said was that, uh, what they said was that 70 million, 70, they gave the figure of 70 million mm. Native Indians were, were slaughtered in, in, in America. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And then you, you need to look, consider it from the point of view is this is the nation that dropped atomic bombs you know how are these really the people that we should be listening to are these the people that can be on they drop two atomic bombs on you know hiroshima and nagasaki and you're talking about what 350,000 dead at least if you know yeah. the, that was that, that was initial that's initial that's and imagine people afterwards and that that's another key point isn't it sometimes you it's very easy just to point at numbers of people killed what about all of the people that continue to suffer year after year of all of these depleted uranium, uranium, Agent Orange, and all of these things that America have dropped in, especially in Muslim lands? And yet, it's not just about the number of people who die, it's the number of people who continue to suffer year after year, time after time. So I'm not going to give them all because I want you guys to add some as well. But I think as a Muslim, just my point is that we should look at some of these and if someone wants some quick stats, I'll do a plug. Just go and watch. We, we produced a video, I think it was last year. You remember when Trump came out and said that America is the most virtuous nation in the world. And he talks about their, their roots when they started and how, you know, they're, they're the best nation ever to exist to mankind. We created a little video and we included a lot of these stats on that video. That video got... Um, I wouldn't call it banned, but you know how YouTube locks a video down so people mm. can't see it because it's got um, content in it, which is sensitive. It's, that stops it from going viral. That stops it from getting reach. Mm. Um, so, so anybody who's got time should go. It's only six or seven minutes long and it highlights quite a few of these massacres and these genocides. Actually, you know what? Uh, I think you're right in the sense like... Um... We would be here for ages. We could speak about what the Americans have done, even up until recently in Afghanistan. They dropped the mother of all bombs. Mm. We talk about the French, what they did in Algeria, the British Empire, which terrorized the uh, most uh, most uh, most of the world. But let's not do that because people can do that in their own time. Uh, the question I got for Ishi uh, is, bro, what's happening here when you've got all this history pointing out who the real criminals are? How come people are, people just don't know about this and, and, and they get fooled and they fall into this 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 media trap? How, what, how is it that these people unashamedly can call other people barbaric and genocidal and stuff like that when their history is made of this? It's not even like, it's not even literal. This is their history. Try to try to make some sense of this, bro. Wow, you uh, asked me the really tough question, huh? I just came here for the alleged iftari man, but. <laughs> No, um, actually, I want to go back to a point in history, and I sort of alluded to it very, very briefly, right? And this mm -hmm. idea of the concert of Europe, right? There's a prestige to that. We are the Europeans. We are the advanced. We are the ones, are the torchbearers of the uh, like most advanced civilization. Humanity, right? yeah. Humanity. And what we see is there's phases that these people have gone through. So during this, what we spoke about, the French in 1830 occupied Algeria and you know we say massacres they didn't think of Algeria as a land they saw it as their property mm. it was a French possession it wasn't I don't know how to explain it because I, I, I don't know any other people that have done this right they actually thought France uh, Algeria was theirs 
these people belong to them. Yeah. I, never in history has that happened before. Britain treated India and plundered that land. There was a, a famine, but these people were beastly people. They were ghastly people. Mm. Who cared? It was the Europeans that mattered because these are the torchbearers and there's their prestige and it's the the, the victors that sent the that set the precedence. Whereas now, whereas what America did was they transitioned, you know, they did all their massacres, then they did regime change. They go through many, many phases, right? Mm. Look what they did in Iraq. They employed the idea of sanctions. Yeah. So now think about it. Their people, they don't like the killings. So let's do sanctions. What did it do in Iraq? Half a half a million people died before the fall of Saddam from sanctions alone. Think about like, that. Children's like, uh, Madeleine Albright said. It yeah. Was yeah, yeah. It was worth it. Think it about this, right? In Iran, the sanctions are stopping COVID vaccine, COVID vaccine going in. Who's the evil one? So Who's suffering? Is 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 it the Ayatollahs? No, no chance. Mm. Right? They say that 40,000 people in Venezuela have been killed by sanctions, right? And it's all these these ways to, A, they pacify their people. So first it was the Christian mission. Now it's the humanitarian mission. We have to intervene to protect the people and protect ourselves. Yeah, this is why they continue to highlight this threat of radical Islam because they constantly need this bogeyman, don't they? And and this is and when their their populations get war weary because of Afghanistan and Iraq and stuff like that, they then try and invent. You know, even like last couple of days, apparently CNN have been able to speak to Al Qaeda. <laughs> now that CNN can speak to Al Qaeda directly, you know, after suddenly. They're pulling out of Afghanistan and suddenly someone from Al-Qaeda is on the phone going, oh, by the way, let's have a conversation. Um, but we, we want you out of all of our lands, not just Afghanistan. So we're still here. So come and come and get us. How, how convenient. Yeah. So this is let me, can I just add something, though? You know, your question, Madge, is a key question. And, you know, about this idea of how is it that they get away with it? Yeah. How? You know what? This is the. Let me explain their attitude. Um, a number of year, years ago, and if I'll find the reference and I'll put it in the comments of the YouTube video, when they realised that a lot of civilians were dying when they were bombing, rather their attitude wasn't, "Oh, civilians are dying. Let's change our strategy." Yeah. Remember, so, so people were saying to them, like, you know, when they were bombing Afghanistan and Iraq, civilians were dying. So rather than thinking, oh, what do we do to reduce civilian casualties? Do mm-hmm. you know what their argument was? They were like, not, we don't need to change our strategy because civilians are dying. We need to change our strategy because if civilians die, their families become radical. Okay, yeah. so their attitude isn't, oh, we need to reduce civilian death. Remember, I think it was Nelson Mandela, he did a quote where he said something like, um, if there's a country that is com- has committed unspeakable atrocities in the world, it is the United States of America. They don't care about human beings. You know what I just mentioned there? That's exactly that. They don't care that they're killing people. They actually cared more that, oh, the insurgency will rise, um, mm. our enemies will get stronger because we're killing innocent people whose families will then become radical. What kind of a thought process makes you think that, oh, the problem isn't killing innocents. The problem is actually, oh, creating more radical people. That just, I think that just shows you their psyche and the way they think. But does it go back to what issue was saying? The fact that uh, the consort of Europe where they actually feel within themselves that they, 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 superior. they're superior yeah. to these people. Is she? Yeah, absolutely. And this is where it emanates. And I think, you know, the way that they also have to sell it to their own people. Mm. But if you think about this, this is a slightly slight tangent. Um, They've got the media. Mm. They've got the media. And it's the media that creates this theatre of this threat. You know, this Al-Qaeda thing. Sorry, I laughed there. Because where have they... It's just crazy... Where did, it's like they've been playing this game of where's Wally and they finally found him, man. It's, they got, it's, they got it's, a hot, hotline with CNN. Yeah, but, the, but it's, it's, it's really serious, right? I mean, think about this, right? Look at, you know, they say freedom of press, right? Look what Edward, Edward Snowden, Snowden did with those, with yeah, the, yeah. you know, revealing all that stuff, all these yeah. conspiracy, they're actually shooting. You know, a drone is one thing. They're yeah. actually seeing who they're shooting, these people, right? Mm. This is happening live. 
what yeah, happened? He, he got locked. He's the one who released that video, didn't he? Where they just they killed those journalists, those yeah, um, that, yeah, Reuters yeah. journalists. And exactly. and that's the point, you know. That's it's almost we're in this theater where we're seeing it, and the only story we're seeing is the one they're portraying. Mm. And a lot of this media isn't aimed at anyone else but their own people to pacify them. But you know what's crazy? The issue. What's crazy though is that you know in the the, the old things that they've done, they semi acknowledge them, but they say the times are different. The, those those times, these things happen, right? But they're still doing it right now. <laughs> That's the illusion. It's like it's like they're probably doing it now in on a worse scale than they did it before. But people just are, are, are like uh, oblivious to this. It's mad. You know, I'll I tell you something, right? And it, it, it's a different st- uh, topic, right? But, you know, look what's happening in America, right? The idea is, you know, the black, everyone is equal. Yet there's a clear difference in blacks and whites, yeah? Yeah. The law d- doesn't differentiate. But you know what differentiates? Culture, mm. right? Okay. The culture of people, right? Just because there's the laws of slavery, did the culture change overnight? No, it didn't. There was that superiority. There's that feeling that this is us and this is them, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the feeling that's still present, that this is us. We are the best nation that's come on earth. We are the virtuous ones. We're the one that make people virtuous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's important to have these aid missions to show that, you know, we are helping these people out. Not Never mind, you're, ampl- you're getting your leg amputated because we've just bombed you to death, right? Look at what they're doing. Yemen, that's, yeah, that is yeah, outrageous. Yeah, the, the thing is, right, I know it's Saudi Arabia perpetrating. Who's giving them the weapons? Who's allowing it to occur? Exactly. Well, mm. that, that's the key point to highlight that the, mm. the styles have changed. So even though I don't think they really care and they'd more than, ha- you know, happily go back in, I think their populations do care, though. So they'd more than happily go back into Afghanistan or Iraq or Syria or whatever with feet on the ground. And OK, there's the economic cost of that. And that might be another difficulty. But you can tell that because their populations are not... Uh, they're still relatively easily duped, but because they've not been able to dupe them as much in recent times, it, this is where, you know, was it Condoleezza Rice when she talked about constructive chaos? It was her. Yes. Yeah, and that continues to happen in every Muslim country, especially, where what they're doing is they fund oppositions, they, you know, cause bombings b- between one another, say the Sunni Shia um, war that's going on or the clash that's going on in many Muslim countries. Most of them, are facilitated, if not all of them, by America because all they see they see that if we can keep that rift going, then that chaos remains, and if that chaos remains, then we m- maintain our superiority over those lands. So this is why that this idea of them coming out and saying, "Oh, okay, let's recognize this as a genocide," it's the most you know sickening thing to hear people like that saying that, you know, and people should be so annoyed and, by it and i think as well is is what's what's important here is that we're not here to defend anyone's actions mm-hmm. you know it was a messy situation and people got killed emotions were high you know people died from all sides right um but i think the important point to take away isn't even from a turkish point of view i think it's what you guys have said um is that we do see that there is a revival uh, which has been going on for a while for Islam. And we actually see in that in the last, you know, um, five years, it's accelerated, but just to just say 10 years, what you have seen is uh, the notion of uh, uh, the Ottomans being, uh, you know, uh, comic, you know, really being escalated, whether it's in at uh, road programs or whether it's these other uh, series about the, you know, uh, Alp Arsalan and, and all these great leaders, right? So, I think that's that's the key that we need to take as Muslims is that their history is so bad, but they don't want to talk about it. But if they look at the history of Islam for 1400 years, where the Muslim lands became a melting pot, which brought together people of all religions and, and all colors and all ethnicities, right? Under one, one state where people live side by side. The reality is the Armenians were living in the Ottoman lands for, for a long time. Had yeah. they wanted to wipe them out, they would have wiped them out a long time ago. In in fact, in a lot of the, uh, I think uh, Ishi mentioned it, in even in parliament and stuff like this, Armenians were present, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it's important that what we can see is that as Muslims, 
this is a tactic which is being used. Um, obviously, there's an agenda politically against Turkey, but I think more so is what the point that Ishii made at the beginning. I think it was a bang on point is that what they're trying to do is they're trying to show that Muslims are no different than their own history um, and that we are barbaric and we are bloodthirsty and we are genocidal and to put people off. And I think that's the key point that as Muslims, we need to take from this, this thing. And, and, uh, and we, can, we, can, we will say, look, as people, people are infallible, people make mistakes. But as Muslims, we need to be proud of our history. Obviously, things happen which are not going to be good. I mean, obviously, human beings, isn't it? But in 1400 years of history, compare that to the history of France, Britain, America, it's like the difference is the sky and the and 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 the land. That's the that's how the diff, they want to bridge that closer and make us actually look worse than they are. As Muslims, we need to be we need to be clear of this. Um, and with the only way we can rebuttal this or, or uh, is by knowing our own history. Even if someone was to say that, and I I think we can defend it. But even if someone was to say that the Armenian genocide was a genocide, and you just took that and the history of Islam, how long has America been a superpower? What? 60 70 years yeah and in that 70 years the number of people that have been killed directly and indirectly because of them exceeds by uh, the percentage would be ridiculous you but know, the birth is built on the genocide exactly so if you added all of that together it just it's not even a conversation what's the message what's the message for the viewers the listeners guys okay, okay. some people might think yeah, this is against Turkey and, you know, it's, what's it got to do with me? I'm from Bangladesh, I'm from Pakistan, I'm from Egypt, whatever. Why is this important for Muslims? And what's your message, final sort of like thoughts on this topic for Muslims? Why is this an important, whether you even think it's an important issue, but why is it important uh, and what should we take away? Um, Ishi, uh, you want to go first? I just wanted to give a, a, a small example, right? And I was spoke to speak to a Greek guy and okay. he was saying all this stuff about Turks, right? And I said to him, and it was it was to do with the issue of Cyprus, because there's obviously like northern Cyprus and southern Cyprus. One half is Greek, one half is uh, Turkish. And I said to him, okay, you both want it, right? From my point of view, you both want it, right? If I'm a neutral party, right? But why is it in that situation? Have you actually thought about it? And he goes, what do you mean? The, the Turks took your offers? I go, actually, no. If you look at the history, America was concerned about the expansion of communism. And they wanted that split because it was in their interests. Just like this genocide situation, we have to look at not to be entertained by the news, open our eyes and look at, to look at things through the lens of Islam mm -hmm. and the lens of what people are trying to achieve and the plans that are being implemented, uh, implemented on us. Otherwise, you will be prey to every plan. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have a plan, you're going to be a part of someone else's yeah, plan. SubhanAllah. I learned that in a chess quote the other day. So uh, it's coming to use. Uh, yes, Kasparov. So, no, I'm not sure who it was, but yeah. It, but the point is this, right? You know, the only reason why we can have this conversation and deal with this information, what did I say? The news has become entertainment. But the, re the way you can escape is you can build a lens to understand. Mm -hmm. And that lens for Muslims is Islam. How mm -hmm. does this achieve the aims of the Muslims? How does this achieve the aims of non-Muslims? And this is the main lesson that we have to take. How is this calling the genocide affecting the Muslims? Mm, that's my point, yeah. And that's how you can build a conclusion. Sorry, I know I've simplified it, but I just remember that story having this argument. I said to this yeah. person, you know, it's that simple. Yeah. And it's all about how you frame it. And we've got to sit and take responsibility. There's two things. You've got to take responsibility and build that frame. Learn a bit of history. Learn the situation. How has this situation arisen? And only then can you progress. Yeah, bang on, bro. Bang on. Uh, Rush? Yeah, I would just say, look at it from a political point of view. I think what happens is dead easy when a, something, a story comes out, is you dive straight into the story, don't you? And you go, oh, this is why this happened. You know, you, you get into the detail. You know, you go into, like they say, you go into the micro level. You need to look at the macro level. If you step back and go, wait there a minute, like we discussed right at the beginning, so I won't repeat it, is why now? 
why is this being you know why is it being declared a genocide now and who has the most to benefit and why you know mm. as a muslim if we consider every political action especially that america carries out because they're the superpower then if and it's linked to issues point about it looking through it that lens then I think we'll be a lot more aware and then we'll go, actually, this is how to deal with that or discuss it with someone because now we realise why that action's been carried out right this minute. Yeah, no, no. I think I think that's really good advice and sound advice for, for all the listeners and, and viewers. And, and look, you may differ to what we're saying, but right. the important thing is you ask the question. You have the thing to ask is, the question. There can be a discussion. You know, the, the Armenian genocide, people can discuss from both sides. I've seen lots of evidence and of it being clearly that it couldn't have been that many people. Mm. And there's people, there's historians that are reputable historians that I've spoken about going, no, there's a reason why this happened. It wasn't genocide. The Armenian uprising needed to be quelled or the people needed to be moved. And there's genuine, re- at least you can have a discussion, you know, with the American ones that we've discussed, what they did in how they dealt with people in Fallujah, how they dealt with people, you know, the Guantanamo, even to this day, all of the issues that you p- paint america with the native indians there's no discussion there's absolutely no oh there's no defense theirs has absolutely no defense whereas what some of what the muslims may have done then there's a there's reasoning behind it there's a defense behind it yeah yeah of course there's hardly any and if they've if they've uh, done wrong then we we acknowledge that but at the same time we, we mentioned things like when the crusaders came to um palestine al-quds that the Christians there uh, for you know against the Crusaders. Uh, that the Crusaders, when they when they massacred the people of Al Quds, they never just killed Muslims. They killed the Christians that were there, everybody, and Jews, because those people were sort of like were, were living in that area, right? And and this is something which from their history, it uh, they I think they they are actually jealous and they are ashamed how their ideology actually uh, brings divisions. And how Islam actually can unite people, uh, and even if people do not remain, they, they want to remain with their own religions, they can live in peace and security along the Muslims. So, Zakhla guys, um, really some some really good insight there, and a really good way of looking at uh, this this event of uh, not really the Armenian event what happened because we didn't go to. I know, but the issue was like he wasn't even warming up. You know, like when you start the car. And you know you got to give it five minutes. He, he just turned the ignition. I know he was firing. He was firing. He's ready to go. But I know Rush is uh, in a bit of a rush today, so I, I couldn't let him get up to heat because it would have been difficult to stop him. Sorry, um, but, <laughs> but certainly, you know, we will bring Brother Ishti back uh, for another podcast where we'll have more time. Um, before we end this podcast, uh, brothers, um, two events, uh, historical events, which should fill us with. Uh, with pride, motivation, um, honor have uh, happened, well, historically happened on the 17th of Ramadan and on the 20th of Ramadan. We see on the 17th of Ramadan is the anniversary of the Battle of Badr. And we see the 20th, which is today, um, is the anniversary of the conquest of Makkah, Fatah Makkah. Um, just wanted to, you know, I know time is restricted here, but just want to get a few thoughts uh, from yourselves to maybe uh, some gems of lessons for our listeners to uh, to take away or, or your thoughts on, on these two uh, amazing, amazing events that occurred um, 1400 years ago. Uh, Rush, I'll start off with you, bro. Any thoughts that you want to add to, to that? I just want to give a quick one because I mentioned this or I posed this question to the congregation at the khutbah on Friday. Um, I was talking about Badr. And I posed a question. I was like saying that compare the Ansar and compare the, the, the people of Quraysh, yeah? Those who opposed the Prophet and those who supported him. And then that links to both Badr and, the, and Fatmaka because you see that at Badr, it was those who, you know, the, those people, the Ansar, they chose difficulty. They didn't choose ease. They chose difficulty, even though they were not from the people of Mecca and the people of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's tribe. Yeah, they chose difficulty and then Allah 
blessed them with being the Ansar and the, the people that are spoke about in such high regard. And then the people of Quraysh, those, are, those were the Prophet Sallallahu own people and only a few people chose to ex- accept him. The majority didn't. So what mm. I pose to the congregation is, who would you have been? If you were there at the time of the Prophet Sallallahu would you have been the ones that chose ease and stuck to your forefathers' um, religion, like the Quraysh did? Or would you have been like the Ansar who chose difficulty and were willing to go up against everyone and therefore at Badr, you were able to go up against such a stronger army and Allah came and helped you? Yeah, And I think it got everybody reflecting and I think it links to today as well. It links to today the fact that these anniversaries we're looking back at, if we're not willing to do something for the Muslims today, then would we really have been from the Ansar or would we have just been those people who were happy with the status quo? Just something I want to leave people to think about. Deep, bro. Bro, you just took people deep into the ocean there. But inshallah, hopefully they can have uh, some uh, thought and reflect on this. And Brother Ishi. I'd prepared a couple of points, but I'll, I'll, I'll mention a point I find inspirational, right? And this is a personal thing to me. And you know, when you look in the first year of, the, of, of uh, Medina, when people, uh, the Prophet established Medina, right? Who were these people? The Muhajirun, emigrants, new people, and the Ansar who'd been fighting. <laughs> yeah? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we talk about unity in a spiritual sense. So what does the Prophet do? What does he do, right? Obviously, we t- they taught him the Aqidah of Islam, the idea of Islam, right? And he made it a physical unity that these people, the Prophet ﷺ said to them, um, you're one nation apart from all others. Mm. And he made them brothers. They would inherit each other and they work together. It wasn't just a spiritual thing. The Aqidah became manifest in them. They it's were physical, living it. Physical thing. And there's this little sort of speech by Saad ibn Muad on the way to Badr, right? Because, you know, at the Treaty of Aqaba, the, um, not the uh, Treaty of Aqaba, the, um, the meeting, Aqaba. Aqaba, the Pledge of Aqaba, sorry, yes. Um, you know, the Ansar, the people of Medina, or Yathra at the time, they, they, they said, we'd give you pro- uh, protection in Medina. Now it's come to Badr, they're going to war. They'd only prepared for a raid. So the Prophet ﷺ wanted to hear what the Ansar thought. Ansar ibn Muad, you know, the great Sahaba, you know, when he passed away, the Prophet ﷺ, the throne of Allah has shaken. This is such a calamitous occasion, right? So he said, we bear, believe in you. So he's talking about what he believes in, right? And the Prophet ﷺ is concerned how far is they going to be willing to go. We believe in you and we bear witness that you bring the truth. So, you know, as all Muslims, they believe, Yeah. We have given you our oaths and agreement to listen and obey all your commands, just like us. We listen and obey. So, but this is the difference. Proceed as ever you decide, we are with you. So he's not saying that this, you decide, it's your decision. Why, you know, at the end of the day, we're Muslims, we're going to go with you. And this is the reality of a Muslim. There was no excuse. There's no, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. I swear, if you, even if you were to plunge into the sea, we'd go. We're ready. We're stoic and we're trustworthy in battle. He's yeah. saying what we're going to bring to the table, not what Islam can do for you, what we can do for Islam today. That's the, atti- that's the attitude. That's the attitude have. of Saad Ibn Muad, and that's why he's so highly praised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is interestingly, he didn't say, you know, let, you know, hopefully we do this. He said, let, let, let us hope that God will bring pre- give you pleasure in us. He will make you with happy with what we do. He's not seeking for his own pleasure. He's seeking for the pleasure of the Prophet Sallam. This is what the fruit of Iman is. Go forward with a God's blessing. Not with our blessing that we're going to go and help you. He knows where victory comes from. It's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what, this is the thing. You know, 313 of people like this, unified, spiritually, physical. What's a thousand people? Yeah, man. And this is, this is what unity does. We've been trapped by nationalism, these ethnic issues. I yeah. can see you looking at the clock, so yeah, I'll, right. I'll stop there. Yeah, you, know, right. no, no, no. you know, the thing is, I get like obviously no, no, I that's find a, this that's, inspirational. No, no, that's an amazing point because I think we have this like a defeatist attitude sometimes, don't we? What we do, we don't realize is like you've just highlighted and like Saad ibn Muad and how he he gave that when he gave that that speech. Yeah, 
imagine if you were there you'd have your hairs would be standing up on your on your hands because that attitude of being saying whatever however difficult the situation is we're with you yeah at the end of the day we're with you and and we fear today because we think oh okay you know linking it to what we discussed already oh america are too strong you know or you know we're all of these split up nations countries separate we, we can't do anything yeah but look at some of the stuff that we've been posting on on voice of the ummah i don't know ishti if you've seen some of it where we're highlighting the strategic land of the muslims we're highlighting the the military capability of the muslims we're going to be over the coming days highlighting the economic might of the muslims and the muslim lands you see we have all of this and we have allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by our sides which is even more important than all of that yet we we have a defeatist attitude and look at the muslims of badr and the muslims at that time how they they had that confidence that because they were on the truth they were able to proceed forward and you know what if you don't make it and you you die in battle you still win because you win in the next life don't you yeah bro i mean you're the one in a hurry bro if you want to carry on speaking i'm 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 happy i'm happy to listen to you you know what i mean i'm happy to listen two to minutes two minutes go for it you know what i mean but you're the one that's in a hurry yeah no you i'll i'll give you your your two minutes of no 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 i don't need two minutes well. i don't need two minutes man let's let's end it there because you need to download the podcast as well so i can't add anything to what you guys have said is amazing points man and i just hope that uh i've certainly benefited from it and i'm sure that those people watching and listening to this podcast will certainly benefit and feel motivated as well. So uh so on that note, you know, jazakallah khair to uh, for you guys to spare some time today on this Allah podcast Allah. and uh, a message to all our listeners and um, viewers, you know, um, it's month of Ramadan, the last 10 days are coming up, you know, put your foot on the pedal, don't slow down, speed up and uh, also join the cause, you know, uh, support us um, register, not register, subscribe to our um, that's old school thing, register subscribe to our platforms, whether it's um, Facebook, Instagram YouTube, share it with family and friends, and um, and yeah, really, inshallah, let's make the most of these last 10 days so on that note Jazakallah um, khair for everyone who is watching and listening to this, and inshallah ta'ala, we will see you on the next one, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi وبركاته وعليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته